Yes, thank you, Father, for giving us your word to, to read and to learn from. I pray that as I read this this morning, we will um, learn more about you and that you will touch our hearts with just what you want us to know. And I pray too for David as he preaches this morning that he will preach this story faithfully and that we will all learn from it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 21, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Well, what a journey we've had through John's gospel over the last couple of years. We've seen Jesus, the word become flesh. Uh, God in the flesh demonstrate this uh, by the amazing, remarkable, miraculous signs he's performed uh, that point to his identity. He's raised the dead. The paralyzed have walked. The blind can see. These are things only God can do. And so Jesus has shown that he is God in the flesh. But God's promised future king, well, he hasn't received the king's welcome, you might expect. He's faced much opposition. He's hated and his enemies have their way in the end when they sentence him to death by crucifixion, a gruelling, awful way to die. And as Jesus dies all alone on that cross, his disciples, who've been with him for the last three years, well, they've deserted him. Even Peter, who swore black and blue he would die for Jesus, even he denies Jesus three times. You see, Jesus dies all alone. But as Jesus said repeatedly before his death, many times in fact, uh, he said that he would die and that he would rise from the grave. And that is exactly what he's done. The dead have risen to glory. And in his resurrected glory, well, Jesus, well, he appears to the disciples. Even Thomas, who said he'd never believe unless he saw and touched Jesus, well, he does and he believes. He also left them with a mission last week, that is to, to proclaim the message of forgiveness. But you see, time's passed and seven of the disciples have gone fishing by the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, depending on your translation, it's the same thing. Anyway, Peter, he's leading them on this fishing trip. And while it might seem that they've forgotten the mission, remember, to, to proclaim the message of forgiveness, we, we must remember that at this particular point, the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out on, onto them yet. They haven't been in, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so before we think too, neg too negatively about the fact they've gone fishing, it, it's probably likely that they've returned to Galilee because that's what Jesus told them to do. And they do need to eat after all. And so I don't reckon these fishing trips are a bad thing. Do notice how Paul responds when he sees Jesus. He's like the excited Jeff, jumping up and down with such excitement. 
this isn't how one responds if you're trying to hide or get away from a responsibility. There's great excitement and joy in seeing Jesus. Well, the disciples, they've gone fishing, verse 3, but they've caught nothing, verse 4. Have a look there. Uh, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The disciples are at their wits end after a hard night's fishing with nothing to show for it. And they hear some advice from a person standing on the shore. And they're unaware at this point that it's Jesus. And like when you might go fishing, everyone's an expert, particularly those people who walk past and don't have a fishing rod in their hand. They might tell you stuff like, yeah, have you tried this bait? Oh, have you used this lure? Oh, you've got to try fishing at that point around there. Oh, I caught a massive fish when I, when I went out there. And for whatever reason, uh, these experienced fishermen, well, they listen to, to the suggestion that's been called out to them from an unknown man and, and what a huge catch they get. Jesus provides a, a miraculous number of fish. It's a divine provision from Christ. And it's funny in the Gospels, isn't it, how the disciples only seem to catch fish when, when Jesus is around. <laughs> anyway, uh, when Peter realises that it's Jesus, well, he's pumped. He's like an excited puppy, wagging his tail all over the place. He jumps into the water, impulse jumps in and goes straight towards Jesus. Well, the other disciples are, are left to, to haul in the fish. But did you notice that without the net breaking? You see, there are so many theories out there about the number of fish. But I reckon that John, who wrote this account, I think he remembered the number of fish because it was such a large number. But I, but I wonder if the focus isn't exactly on the fish, the, in the number of fish, but on the fact that the net didn't break. You see, it reminds me of an earlier catch, and not in Luke's, uh, not in John's gospel, but in Luke's gospel. You see, in chapter five of Luke's gospel, Jesus calls uh, the disciples. That's when he first calls them, uh, and in that situation, they too have been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. But at the word and divine provision of Jesus, well, they let down their nets, and it's a huge haul that they bring in a fish. But in Luke 5, the net begins to break. Anyway, they're on the shore with Jesus in Luke 5. And what does Jesus say? Jesus changes their profession. He changes them from being fishermen of fish to be fishing for people. Jesus makes them fishers of men. And I wonder if here lies the significance for us in John 21 this morning. Now, Jesus has provided heaps of fish for the disciples, and the net doesn't break. You see, within their mission of being fishers of people to, to proclaim the gospel, the ministry of forgiveness, you see, this ministry has no bounds. There's no limit to the number of people who can be caught by this gospel net. You see, just like Jesus provided the fish, well, Jesus will provide the people for whom they will speak and whom they will see saved. And so what is true for them is actually true for us too. There is no limit. 
There is no one too big or small who can't be caught in this gospel net and come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And so let me encourage you uh, to be praying for people to be saved. That God would be using our words as we proclaim Christ to see many people know the forgiveness that Jesus offer, offers. And you see, now as ever, this good news, this momentous news of life and hope beyond the grave, it is so good as we endure another lockdown. While many of the people around us will be angry that we're in another lockdown situation, there will be many others who are fearful. They're in great dread. They feel hopeless. But what a great hope we have in the gospel that we can share with people at this point. What hope Jesus gives to those who trust him, who was raised to life and promised to raise us to life too if we put our trust in him. You see, there is no need to fear death or, or be, feel hopeless when, when you know the Lord Jesus. Because we have an eternal hope, an eternal joy, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. God uses the disciples to bring in a huge number of fish. And he'll use the disciples to see huge numbers of people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And these are both a divine provision from God. And you see, it's the same for us. God uses our weakness our faults, the good parts too, of course, but he uses those to enable us to proclaim Christ. He provides the people for us to pray for and to speak to. You see, why else would he have placed us in the streets that we live, in the families we belong, the people we work with, the schools we went to, the stuff we used to do? God placed us in these places that we may connect with these people in life that we may pray for them and speak to them of Jesus, and then in his timing that we may see them saved. Brothers and sisters, let's use this current circumstance that Melbourne finds itself in and use it to proclaim the great hope we have in Christ and pray that God will use our words to see many people saved. You see, Jesus, by divine intervention, provides an abundant haul of fish. And he actually continues to provide for them with material things in in this chapter. He gives them breakfast after a hard hard night out fishing. But you see, he continues to provide for them and us in all material needs, but ultimately in salvation and the people in whom we will prayerfully proclaim Christ. What a great provision we have from Christ. We've seen Christ's provision in the fish, but ultimately by providing salvation for many, those caught in the gospel net, the proclamation of forgiveness found in Jesus. Well, the next thing we'll see is love for Christ. You see, ever since Peter denied Jesus those three times, we've kind of been left hanging. What's going to happen to Peter? You see, he swore that he would never give up on Jesus, and yet he fails Jesus those three times. You see, if someone lets us down uh, three times, we might just write them off. They're no good. They're a failure. But not Jesus. Jesus reinstates Peter publicly so that the disciples and us can actually see that there's no blood between them and that he'll use Peter in his mission. 
Have a look here from verse uh, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter's asked three times, do you love me? But did you notice in that first time there in verse 15, he asks, do you love me more than these? And well, these could be the, the boat and the fish lying around, or it could mean that does he love the disciples uh, more, his love for the disciples. But I reckon what Jesus is asking is whether he loves Jesus more than the other disciples love Jesus. Because you see earlier, Peter had boasted about his devotion for Christ, uh, that it was better, his love for him was more than, than the other disciples. Like in Mark 14, he declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And in John 13, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus, he said. But you see, when push came to shove, well, well Peter, he denied him three times. But in answering these questions, Peter expresses his love for Jesus. He truly loves Jesus. And Jesus accepts this as, as, Je as Peter appeals to his knowledge of all things. You know all things and you know that I love you, verse 17. You see, as, as Peter serves the Lord, it is going to be based on his love for Christ. In the past, there might have been pride and arrogance, his own strength and ability. Well, it's not that anymore. His, his service of the Lord now needs to be based on his love of Christ. And well, in this, Peter's restored publicly uh, as a disciple. And he's restored to serve Jesus pastorally. He's told there three to feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. We saw the evangelistic side of, of proclaiming Christ to unbelievers in verse 11. Well, here is the pastoral side. He's to feed and care for Christ's sheep through the teaching of Christ and his works. And this is the ex expectation of any gospel minister who's been entrusted to care and feed Christ's flock. By bringing God's word to bear in their God's word to bear on them in their lives. Peter's denial of Jesus was huge, and I reckon Peter would have felt awful about it. He'd really let Jesus down, and I reckon you might know that. I reckon you might know the feeling. You see, being married, I, I felt like this all the time. Uh, Emily has a really sore neck at the moment, and yesterday she asked me to get her some medication while she rested in bed. But in, but in looking after the kids and, and getting lunch ready, I completely forgot. And I felt awful that she had to text me to remind me uh, to, to get her that medication. I had let her down. We can feel awful when we let someone down. 
And so we can only imagine how bad and how awful Peter felt that he denied Jesus. <laughs> Peter's denial was massive. But Jesus not only forgave Peter, he restores Peter to his place as a disciple. You see, Jesus graciously calls him back into his service. And this is really good for us to hear as well. And what an absolute blessing it is. You see, there is no sin too big for Jesus to forgive us. Multiple times a day, we will let Jesus down in our sin. Maybe an outburst of, of anger or pride or pornography or a, even a denial of Jesus when asked point blank. And while we need to repent of this sin, what a blessing it is to see that Jesus not only forgave Peter, but he reinstated him as, a, as an apostle, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, with whom God used massively, mightily for the work of the gospel, to see the gospel go out among the nations. You see, there will be times when we feel crushed by the weight of our sin. And we may even question, have we been forgiven? Or even question our suitability to serve the Lord Jesus. But see, this passage is a great blessing for us. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we are forgiven and free to serve him. But this passage is more than just restoration. As I've just shown, I think it's got a lot to do with serving of the Lord Jesus too. Uh, three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Jesus wants Peter, and for us uh, in, in that fact, he wants us to love Christ above everything else, to love Jesus supremely, and that our love for Christ would be our driving force behind our service of him, that our love for Christ would drive our serving him. You see, if it's love for Christ that's our motivator for serving, it will actually help us persevere during difficult times. It will actually help us keep the faith during those difficult times. You see, if it's not the love of Christ, well, then we'll be in strife because it will be based on our effort. But you see, we'll eventually stop. Or if it's based on our emotions, well, eventually they will drop. And, and if it's based on fellowship with others, well, we won't always have people around. And if it's based on success, well, we will fail. But you see, if our motivation and driving force behind serving Jesus is, is our love for him, if that's our supreme factor, well, then we will continue to serve regardless of, of what lays before us. You see, love for Christ will keep us going despite the difficulties, despite the failures and the catastrophes we find ourselves in. Love for Christ will keep us going in our service of him. Well, Peter was to serve Christ pastorally and to serve him through death. But, but have a look here at verse 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter might have had freedom as a youth, but from now he'd be controlled by another, even to the point of a violent, gruelling death as a martyr. 
And while some suggest he was crucified upside down, I'm not convinced we have enough evidence to, to know that for certain. Peter had boasted that he'd lay down his life for Jesus. And the irony of this is that that is what Jesus calls Peter to do in service of him. Peter will lay down his life in serving Jesus. And his death will bring him great glory. You see, Jesus calls Peter to follow him, to follow Jesus in being rejected and to suffer, to die as a martyr. You see, Peter needed to understand that love for Christ was to be his ultimate. He needed to love and serve Jesus, not with his own strength and might and arrogance, but that he would rely on, on Christ and his provision that the love of Christ would lead him in following Jesus in death. Well, Peter's been told some surprising news, hasn't he? He's going to die a martyr's death, just like Jesus. And the final thing we'll see is being content in Christ. Have a look here uh, from verse uh, 21. Uh, When Peter saw him, that is uh, the disciple John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Peter's heard he'll die a martyr's death and wonders, well, what's going to happen to John? And Peter does what lots of us might do when we hear difficult news. We might ask, hey, what about those guys? You know, I'm sure you've experienced this before where, where where you draw the short straw and get that difficult client at work or that difficult case at at uni or even that difficult circumstance that you find yourself in. And you might question, why do they get it so easy and yet I have to go through this hardship? But see, look at Jesus' response. What is it to you? You must follow me. You see, Peter needs to hear this. In fact, I think we do too. When we try to compare our situation with someone else's, we need to remember to be content in Christ and be content in the lot that he has given us. Jesus has different plans for Peter and John. You see, for Peter, he was called to pastoral ministry, to martyrdom, where for John, he was called to long life and a strategic writing ministry. You know, he did write four books in the New Testament. They did different things. But you see, together, they they are both vital and equally important to the spread of the gospel. And you see, we need to learn this too. We need to be content in church. Uh, We need to be content in Christ. Just like at church, we're all different from each other. You see, some of us will be really good at music. Um, Others of us will be really good at upfront stuff. And while there will be others who are who are brilliant at the the behind-the-scenes kind of administration side of things. But each of us are are different, but that doesn't make us less valuable in Christ in our service of him. We need to learn to be content in Christ and the abilities he has given us. You see, there are still lots of ways we can serve Christ, even though we're not meeting physically at the moment, even though we're needing to meet over Zoom like this for church. Sure, not just with reading the Bible and, and prayer, but in, but in things that aren't seen, like serving on the PowerPoint. Sam continues to do this week in, week out, each week faithfully, and we're, we're thankful for, for that, Sam. Uh, but do you think this is something you could serve in? But there are other ways we can serve. We can be active 
prepared participants in our discipleship teams by going through the material beforehand, by, by coming with questions, by praying for those people who shared their prayer points on that, that day and continue to pray for them during the week. We can also do it through serving in ways that go unseen by most, like serving on the parish council or providing a meal for someone in need. You see, there are so many different ways in which we can serve the Lord Jesus. There is no one mould that fits us all. We are all different body parts with Christ at the head. But see, we work together, moving together in our loving service of him. You see, we need to be content in Christ and, and the lot that he has given us. Well, Jesus restored Peter after his epic failure. He forgives Jesus and restores him as a disciple. But there's more here than restoration. It's a passage about service and love for Christ being the driving factor in our service that Christ provides and that we may be content in how he has made us and the situations that we find ourselves in. Well, as we have been encouraged, may the love of Christ compel us in our service of him. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we give you great thanks uh, for the ministry of forgiveness in which Peter uh, not only experienced firsthand as he was forgiven and restored to his place as a disciple and apostle, uh, but also that he had the privilege of, of proclaiming. We thank you that, that through his work and, and others that we have heard this have heard this good news that we too can find forgiveness when we come to to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Father, we thank you for the way that you have saved us uh, through the proclamation of others, and we pray you might use us uh, to proclaim Christ prayerfully, and that you might. Uh, use us to see many people saved. Father, as we serve our risen Lord Jesus, please help us be driven by our love of Christ, that the love of Christ may be the driving and determining factor in our service of you, not other things, but our love of Christ, that we may be able to serve you regardless of the ups and downs we face. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.